Good morning, it's great to be back up here again. And uh, what a week we've had, well, what a two weeks we've had with the Olympics, haven't we? My goodness, I know so many people have been glued to that TV. Where's my husband? Yeah. <laughs> it's actually riveting, isn't it? I mean, when you just see the amazing things that people do, they've gone through rigorous training, they've gone on strict diets, they've pummeled their bodies, they've spent almost a lifetime of working towards an event, and my goodness, the records have been broken, haven't they? It's just been so exciting. And how is that with Mo Farrow, who fell down and then he got up again and went on to win a gold? <laughs> and last night he won another gold. <laughs> records have been broken. But it's been a time, too, where hearts have been broken. And I just love the word that came up this morning. Don't give up on the last lap, because that is what my talk's about. <laughs> Haven't we got a great God? <laughs> Did you have a peep at what I was writing? No. <laughs> but isn't that just amazing? But that's our Lord. Isn't it just fantastic confirmation? He's saying that in all of the Olympics and all of these superstars that have really worked towards field and track, gone through so much rigorous training, many hearts have been broken. Many people have been disappointed. Many haven't got the results they wanted. How is that Taekwondo champ who missed by less than a second because he thought it was over and he'd won and he took off his helmet and he was hit on the head and he missed his gold. So you see, things happen and hopes were dashed and people have had bitter regrets and some have even been tempted to give up. And it's not just the Olympic stars, it's everyday people, the same. I've come across so many who have not just worked their whole lives for one event, but maybe over many years have worked towards something or someone in, in, a, in a relationship and it's just not happening for them. And they suffer this deep, deep discouragement and despondency. And he's saying, don't give up on the last lap. He is really saying that to us very loudly and very clearly. And it's not that we've got to have the sense of grim resolve and resignation. Is it not working? Okay, is that better? I know I'm switched on, but I, <laughs> I didn't know if I was wired up. <laughs> so it's not just a sense of grim resolve. You know those dear old souls with the slit, tight mouth who are hanging on till Jesus comes? It's not what it's about. It's about the abundance, the abundant life that comes when Jesus Christ is living in us, working through us, touching lives through us. But many of his people, many of us, suffer deep discouragement and disappointment. We started out so full of optimism, so full of optimism, full of hope, and then life happened. And as Jamie said last week so powerfully, if you haven't listened to that, you really need to on the podcast. He said, we dress to cover our brokenness. And that's how it is. We put on a show and nobody can see the deep hurts, the pain, the discouragement. But many times you see it in people's eyes. You see it in the, the whole way they carry themselves. Just life taking its toll year after grim year. There's that smart Alec who said that people are like tea bags. You've got to put them in hot water to see how strong they are. Well, it's not about that. Life does happen, and, and we do suffer the discouragements, but God has 
a glorious way out. I met somebody this week who told me that she'd married somebody because she thought they were a certain person, and then she found out after they were married that it wasn't that, he wasn't like that after all. And she spent the next 20 years trying to make him become the person she thought she had married. Does that sound familiar? And then she realized he would never change. That's not the way he was. And she felt that her 20 years had been wasted and she was in the pits of deep, deep discouragement. Many times relationships end. Children are not what we expect them to be. Sometimes Christians have really let us down. Or maybe it's business, failure after failure, financial ruin. Maybe the one you really love so desperately tells you they don't love you back. And we've all had those times of deep, deep loss and discouragement. But that is the story of so many lives. And my talk today is saying, no, there is hope instead of disappointment. There is hope instead of disappointment. And there is a destiny instead of despair. And God has got that planned for every single one of us. I know why you're here. I know why, you, why I'm here. It's so that we can hear from him the story of hope as we look through his word today and as we see what real people have confronted. These are not just stained glass window saints. These are not some names in a dusty old manuscript. These are real flesh and blood people of the past, our heritage, who've gone through exactly what we go through but they hoped. They had a sense of destiny in spite of all the mess around them, the utter hopelessness around them. And God called them to glory and greatness, and that's what we're gonna see about today. Sometimes there have been catastrophic failures, sometimes there's a spiral downwards, but let's look and see what God says. But before we do, let's pray. Loving Father God, thank you that you are here with us that you are in us who believe, that you work through us, touching lives. May I think with your thoughts. May I speak with your words. May I love with your love. May I share with your passion. Don't give up on the last lap. And may there be such a quickening of hope in the ash of despondency and disappointment. And may there be a renewing of a destiny that you called us to, in spite of the futility, the failure that we might feel right now. For your glory, and we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Right. Are you ready? I am. Let's have the first reading. And this is from Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12. I love the way the Bible tells it as it is. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And that's exactly what it is. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I'm sure that you've gone through those experiences where you actually almost feel physically sick when you're so despondent and disturbed. But the desire, when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. It can actually make us sick to have this hope deferred year after year, time after time. But let's remember that we live in a fallen world, so it's not surprising that adversity comes. Let's remember, too, that 
when we open ourselves to Jesus Christ and commit our lives to him, he indwells us. He infuses us with his presence, with his power, and something extraordinary happens. Physically, it does. Mentally, it does. Spiritually, definitely. Emotionally, it does. Sometimes it doesn't trickle out to our surroundings. Sometimes it does. But the key thing is that connection with him. When we have no hope and we cast ourselves away from him, it makes us sick. But when we tap into his life in us, we become a tree of life. And it's just almost like being back in Eden. You can sense his presence. You know the wonder, the awe of having him close with you and nothing can separate you from him. Say to the person next to you, it's got to grow or it's got to go. <laughs> it's got to grow or it's got to go. So if there's something that's holding you back, and it's like a spiral downwards that keeps pulling you down the plug. You don't want to be down there. You want to be a tree of life. And if it's not growing, it's got to go. Okay? It's got to grow or it's got to grow. And that's the decision that only you can make. Let's look at another verse. Psalm 42 and verse 5. I sometimes switch between the New Living Translation and sometimes between the NIV. But have a look here. I love this psalm, Psalm 42. It starts off by talking about a deer that's been heated and running as if been in a chase. And it just longs, pants, yearns for fresh, cool streams of water. And this is what the psalmist said, that's how my soul longs for you. Verse 5 says, why, my soul, are you downcast? There it is, the despondency. Why so disturbed within me? The Bible says it as it is, and I think that so often when people say, how are you? Oh, I'm fine, praise the Lord. I think there is a time for speaking by faith, of course, but we also have to be real. We have to be honest. We have to be able to say, I'm in a place of battling right now. Will you pray with me? Sometimes it's a way of almost sharing gossip and news. Do you know that she's... That's not what it's about. That's not the spirit. We need to be honest. This is where I am. And here the psalmist, it's not David, it's the sons of Korah. Why, my soul, are you downcast? He's saying, he's almost questioning himself. Why so disturbed? Here comes the special secret. Put your hope in God, not in your circumstances, not in your surroundings, not in other people that will let you down. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. I love the honesty of this. He's not feeling that yet, can you sense it? He's saying, come on, why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God, that's the key. I know it in my head, that's the key, for I will yet praise him. I'm not there yet, but I know I will yet praise him. My Savior and my God. The next verse is the same. My soul is cast down with, within me. Therefore, I will remember you. He's saying, can you see the transition? As I said, when we become a Christian, we have him indwelling us. 
We have him infusing his life, his presence, his peace in us. We have the choice in day-to-day Christian living. Are we going to live that way or are we gonna hang on to the old ways of this spiral downwards? It's a decision only we can make. This is the Psalm that Jesus quoted when he was dying on the cross when he was bearing everything that you have done, that I have done, that every sick person and stupid and crazy person in the world has done, he became riddled with sin, who knew no sin, that we would be set free to have immediate access and justification and cleanliness if we believe that. It's an extraordinary truth. And we who believe that should not be floundering. We should be flourishing. (laughs) We should. The psalmist wouldn't rest until that relationship was restored with his God, as if his very life depended on it, like the deer panting for water. Immediately, he chides himself, reminds himself, determines, why are you so downcast? Hope in God. So there's your key. In the next hours after you leave church, or after you're listening to this, you're gonna have decisions, and it's a split-second decision. Are you gonna say no to that spiral downwards, to being sick, sick, sick in heart? Or are you gonna say yes to God? You don't feel it maybe, but you're gonna choose it, and you know you will praise him, and you will be a tree of life. You become what you believe. I say that again. You become what you believe. That's in Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks, so he is. So if you are thinking all the time about this disappointment that's churning inside and this despair, you're going to become that. Oh, I pray that you don't. I pray and I pray for myself that we will embrace all that he has for us all that he desires for us to be, that we will be fully alive in Jesus Christ, that we won't be limping through life, hanging on to some old bondage of the past, that we won't be stumbling on what lies behind us. It's true, people do. Don't let the disappointment define us. Let us be known as those who maybe are having terrible struggles but they are putting their faith in God and trusting with all their being because he will bring it to pass. He has that destiny planned for us. We've got to face the facts and say it is what it is, but we know it's not what it seems. It is what it is, but it's not what it seems. We'll come back to that. In my own personal experiences, my husband, dear Roger, will bear out. If I get bad news or something upsets me or something comes, life happens, I immediately go upstairs to the bedroom or I go into the kitchen, which is so much my sanctuary, because there nobody can see and I get down on my knees, sometimes flat on that cold floor, and I see where I haven't swept. No, (laughs) but I do get down and I say, Lord God, I need you now. Sometimes it's just a sigh, and I say his name, Jesus. Sometimes I cry it out, Jesus. But I keep that closeness as the most important priority in my life. 
And wherever I am, it might be the post office queue, and I always talk about these jolly post office queues because I'm often in them. Wherever it could be, at a dinner party, it doesn't matter because in a split second, you can have that closeness. It's what Psalm 91 says, and I could always keep my little tag in the Bible in Psalm 91 because it's just so beautiful. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High shall rest under the shadow of the Almighty. I know those words so well, but that's that closeness. He will cover you with his feathers. You will snuggle under his wings. It's the most beautiful picture of intimacy and closeness and warmth. You can have that in a split second. So often it's in the kitchen, the bedroom. If a dinner party, I go to the ladies' cloakroom or whatever. You can get your peace you can have that sense of closeness. Don't wallow in disappointment. Don't flounder in despair. Get that relationship going and keep it close and intimate and strong. Right, now we turn to one of the most exciting chapters, Romans chapter four, and this is talking about our dear forefather, Abraham. Dear Abraham, um, on the screen, it will be quoted. I'm just going to say it is what it is. I've mentioned that it is what it is, but it's not what it seems. Abraham, Romans chapter 4, verse 18, it says, Even when there was no reason to hope, Abraham kept hoping. Isn't that extraordinary? Even when there was no reason to hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. I think that's amazing. Even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. Well, that's no overstatement, <laughs> is it? <laughs> when your body's 100 years old and you figure it's as good as dead, I think you're pretty well on the right track. Not only was that the case, but so was Sarah's womb. So now that's like a double whammy. How, how is God gonna do this? Do you ask that many times? I do. How are you gonna do this, Lord? But you see, he has made the promise and he will fulfill it because that is his nature. <laughs> These pages are filled with thousands of examples of him doing exactly that. In the most impossible situation, he brings it to pass. Yes. I love what Pastor Steve Furnick, who I've been listening to a lot, he says, when the world says no way, God's people say Yahweh. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Where, even when there was no hope, Abraham hoped. <clears throat> In the NIV it says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became. He believed and so became. Remember what you think you become? So let's see this. Let's take encouragement from the scripture. And it says in verse 19, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. It is what it is. He didn't pretend it was something else. But he believed. It's extraordinary. He did not waver. And it says that in fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. It's amazing. A hundred years, and things are getting worse. You're getting older, and beautiful Sarah is getting older. She was 90. How can the hope of the world be in a barren, 
woman of 90 years old, and you've got a body as good as dead, he did not waver. Now, if that's our forefather, we've got to be something of the same, haven't we? <laughs> we've got to take heart. We can't still be trapped in the past in our old ways and stuck. It is what it is, but it's not what it seems because, because God has this destiny for us. We look at the natural with eyes of the world, but when Jesus is in us and he fills our hearts, when he is our song, when he is our hope, we will start seeing increasingly with the eyes of the supernatural. And I always like to see that it's like if you look at a seascape, you can see the ocean and then there's like a line and then the sky. I love to think, Lord, rub out that line of the horizon in my life, that there will just be this interflowing of the natural with the supernatural, where miracles will be a daily occurrence because they're happening, but let me see that they're happening. Let me see your special touches of love wherever I go, whatever I do, because they're there, charged by the supernatural and the divine. I am sharing with you today what I'm living, because it works. And it's not the power of positive thinking. It's not some little thing you go by rote. It's because of the person of Jesus, because he is at work in us and through us who believe. You know that in my life, 96, 1997, and 1998, I've shared that I lost the three closest people to me. My sister died very tragically and suddenly, my only sister. Then my husband, John, and we had four children. Youngest, just nine years old. The oldest, 17. And then the following year, my mother died. I think she died of a broken heart too. But I went through a time of such stripping and wretchedness and pain that it's actually difficult to even talk about because at the time I was almost in a stunned sense of how can this happen? And I would wheel the trolley in the supermarket and friends would avoid me. And I thought, this is how Job must have felt, covered with ulcers and sores because people didn't know how to deal with all that had happened. I'm sharing this because in the intensity of the pain the loneliness and having my four children and my sisters too who became like mine. So I had all these young ones looking to me and I had financial questions so much. I clung to the Lord as never before. I'd been a Christian for 20 some years. I'd worked as a missionary in the media, but I realized after my sister died, that I went from being a servant at his feet to being a child in his lap. And after my husband John died, I clung around his neck to Jesus in a way that I had never had such a desperate need to know him as the lover of my soul, my husband, my all in all, my supplier. And I'm sharing this because out of extraordinary pain over years, it was 10 years of being a widow before I got married to 
doing my job. But in the extraordinary wretchedness and pain, something so pure and strong and beautiful in faith started to grow. So when I share with you from Psalm 42, why cast down, O my soul? Why so disquieted within me? Why so broken? Put your hope in God. I have lived that. I have moved from his feet to being in a place of such intimacy. So I can tell you it works. Not because of some smart thing you rattle off, but because of who he is. Such a faithful Lord, such a wonderful Lord. And he's ready to do the same to you. To take you out of that pit, because he does understand. To put your feet upon a rock and to put a new song in your mouth. <laughs> Amen. So, let's get back to another cameo. Isn't he a good God? <laughs> Thank you. I've got a tissue. I don't just plant the seeds, I water them too. <laughs> right, another cameo, we talked of Abraham, is Elijah. And this is a great prophet of God in the, in the old days. He had one almighty showdown with the prophets of Baal. King Ahab was a Baal worshiper. And in those days, the people who believed in Baal believed that Baal was the god of the rain and the harvest. So for Elijah to walk in to this Baal-believing king and say, it's not going to rain. It's going to be a bad drought. That was boldness. He did. You've got to hear from God when you say that. Well, it did. There was a most terrible drought. There was no rain year after year. And then Elijah knew it was going to rain. But let's have a look at 1 Kings 18, verse 44. I'll just go back to the Old Testament. 1 Kings 18. And the story here is that Elijah had bent down. He'd got his head between his knees. Now, whoever thought the prophets of God weren't supple, there's news for you. He had his head between his knees. Um, that takes some doing, but I think it was because he wasn't looking with the eyes of faith, of, of the natural, he was looking with the eyes of faith. He sent his servant to see if there was a cloud in the sky because he knew it was going to rain. But the servant came back, there was not a cloud in the sky. He went again, he came back. Now this has happened six times that the servant went to look and there was no sign of a cloud and Elijah was believing that it was going to rain. And we check it up here, verse 44. The seventh time, talk about keeping him waiting, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So there was this little tuft of white cloud. And Elijah, full of faith, says, Go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you because there's going to be one almighty rainstorm. All he saw was this little measly cloud on the horizon. But that's the hope that he had, that God would fulfill the destiny he'd called him. We read the next verse, the sky grew black, the wind rose, and a heavy rain started. Maybe you were at a place in your life where it's absolutely hopeless. You've looked and there's nothing in the sky. You've gone again to try and find 
what was promised over and over, and there's nothing. I encourage you, don't give up on that last lap. <laughs> there will be a little cloud, maybe it's the size of a man's hand, but hang in. God is faithful. He's not in forgotten you, and he will do what he said. It might be small, it might be not what you're expecting, but have faith and hope in God. When Jesus was describing the kingdom of God, that we're not just living by the natural, by what we see, by what we feel, but that we are living by what we cannot see and cannot feel, but by what he has said. When Jesus was trying to explain this to the crowds around him, he said, how shall I compare it? Let's have a look at Mark chapter four. I love this. Mark chapter four and verse 30, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when planted, aren't those exciting words? Yet, when planted, I'm sharing seeds of God's truth with you today. Yet, when planted, I pray they would fall on the good soil of your hearts, that they would grow. Remember that tree of life? <laughs> that they would grow, that you wouldn't be cut off, you wouldn't be running away from God, but you will be running to God. When, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. That is the kingdom of God. We're not looking with eyes that are natural, but with eyes that are supernatural. Let's move on to another cameo, and that is John chapter 11. We're racing through these, but you can meditate on them later. It's all part of this special picture. It's set in Bethany, where Jesus has gone to the home of Mary and Martha. Their brother Lazarus died four days before. <clears throat> and both girls said to Jesus the same thing. Martha first, who ran to meet Jesus, and then she called Mary, and Mary said the same thing when she called her. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Because Jesus would have worked a miracle of healing. But you see, our lives are not always what we think. He might have a different plan and a different way that we absolutely don't understand. But look at this. It's as if it is. Jesus waited until it was utterly hopeless. Abraham, a hundred, dried up Sarah. Isn't this a familiar story? Isn't this the same theme? Is it in your life? It's certainly been in my life, and it is in many areas. Believing for something, waiting for something, utterly hopeless. But let's read what happens. John 11, 44. Jesus said to her, and I love these words. These are some of my favorite words in scripture. Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Let's take away the obstacle 
Whatever it is that's blocking the miracle of God, you decide that. Take away the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me, that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I've said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. And then this, it builds up to a crescendo. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. <sighs> My goodness, it gives me shivers when I think of that. Can you imagine? And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Wow. Maybe you've seen the movie, The Mummy, where the mummy comes walking along through the deserts. Well, Hollywood tries to do all these things. This is a real story. This is a true occurrence of what actually happened. Jesus waited to show Mary and Martha that he is the resurrection and he is the life. And I love the way Martha, ever practical, had said to him, he's been dead four days, by now there will be an odor, there will be a stench. You know, she was definitely the one to say, it's stinking in there. How about you? I believe and I want to have a resurrection hope and faith that believes in the dead man walking rather than a stinking tomb. Yeah. What about you? <laughs> yes, I do. Let's do that. So you might be saying, maybe it's just Elijah, maybe it's David, maybe it's Abraham and these greats. But as I close, I want to just show you that there is another little cameo. Mark chapter 5, you can read about it later. Verse 22 talks about a woman who had the issue of a flow of blood. Remember that? The crowds were pressing in. Jesus was on his way to heal a little girl of 12 years old. But in the crowd, secretly, was this dear lady who also for 12 years, so it's interesting, both 12, as many years as that little Jairus' daughter had been alive, this lady had been suffering with a seemingly incurable disease of a blood flow. And in the Jewish custom, a woman who had the blood flow was unclean. She was, not, she was like an outcast. She couldn't be with the, the normal people. So can you imagine the suffering of this little unknown lady, and yet Matthew, Mark, and Luke all mention this account. I love it. You know, that's the Lord noticing every single one of us. And she presses through the crowd to touch his garment because she knew she could be healed. And we know the story. He knew that the power had gone out, and he said to his disciples, who touched me? And they were saying, everybody's touching you. But he knew something different, and there she came in fear and trembling, and it says she told the truth. It is what it is. We face the facts, but it's not what it seems. He's got a bigger plan, a greater destiny, and she was made whole, and her life was changed. Would the band come up, please? I've shared little snippets, little cameos of situations that have been absolutely hopeless, but there's so many more in scripture. Joseph, his brothers got angry with him, they buried him, they took his coat, put blood on, told lies, but he wasn't buried, he was planted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was like a seed, because God had a plan that he would be a tree of life 
and he would actually bring hope to that family. The little shepherd boy in a field, David, when the prophet came by looking for a king, they trudled off all the other brothers. They didn't even mention the little kid in the field. But God had a plan for him. He wasn't forgotten. What about the little boy's lunch? Five loaves, two fish, insignificant. Can you sense what I'm sharing with you? It's not about size. It's about honesty. It's about the grain of mustard seed. It's about the little cloud as big as a man's hand. It's about the seemingly insignificant nothingnesses that God sees and notices. It's that sigh and cry on the kitchen floor. He hears and he will answer. There may be signs all around you of utter hopelessness, but don't give up. Don't quit on that last lap <laughs> because he's got a beautiful plan for you. Shall we close our eyes and pray? Loving Father, thank you that you have been moving through your Holy Spirit as I've been sharing. And thank you that as we pray and as we open ourselves to you, you will quicken hope in us that that sense of despondency and disappointment and deep regret and failure will go as we remember Abraham against all hope. He hoped <laughs> and you got the glory. He did not waver. Martha, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. I want to be like that. We want to be like that. Faith like a grain of mustard seed. We want to grow and be so large in you that birds will come and make nests in our branches, that we will help the others. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but we want to be a tree of life. We want to hear the sound of heavy rain, of prayers being answered by faith, because we put our hope in you. In this place, if you have yearned for God, for encouragement, for hope, for destiny. I pray in Jesus' name that that will happen now. Holy Spirit, that you'll be moving. And I thank you, Lord God, that as we choose you and choose life, you will bring it to pass. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm closing now with Romans 15, 13. There will be the blessing later. But this is my blessing for you. May the God of your hope so fill you with all joy and peace in believing through the experience of your faith that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound and be overflowing, bubbling over with hope. <laughs>